So originally from Ohio, but he went down to the Bible college as well. Thanks for sharing. Yes, camp is always a wonderful time. Summer has always been my favorite time of the year, and really the main reason for that is uh, because of all the many different church camps going on uh, throughout uh, the summer. And uh, I enjoy hearing everybody's stories and their input from the camps that they've uh, been a part of, and, and I love hearing the kids talk about Summit. I look forward to next week. Um, as the Haynes talk about family camp, and there's so many camps that, that our conference offers throughout the summer, and I hope you guys are encouraged and uh, want to uh, partake in the many different uh, wonderful camps and conferences that uh, our denomination puts on. And so with that said, I was also at a, another uh, church camp as well last week um, at Southeast Camp uh, up in the mountains in Tennessee. And I thoroughly enjoy my time. I always enjoy hanging out with the kids as I think that I'm more on level with their maturity level than maybe some of you guys are. So it's good. It's good to, uh, for me to spend time with them and be a positive example to them and to show the love that God has for each and every one of them. And then also last night, I had a wonderful time uh, celebrating uh, the marriage of Liam and Corinne. We got some of Liam's family here as well. So good time. Very, very busy, great week uh, last week. And and a lot of people had a very eventful week. Um, So it's good to see you all here uh, this morning. And uh, next week, you might have have full plans as well because 4th of July is coming. 
um, already, I know. This is the last day of June, I believe. And so 4th of July coming up next week. Um, and it's always a great time to celebrate with friends and family as we come together and celebrate our freedom as a nation. As in 1776, our nation uh, declared our freedom uh, from uh, Great Britain. And so before we really get started, I'm just going to share with you guys a couple of random fun facts about 4th of July uh, or Independence Day. So here we go. In 1870, Congress made 4th of July an official unpaid holiday for federal employees. And 68 years later, in 1938, Independence Day became a paid federal holiday. Um, it's believed that only John Hancock, the, the guy with the big signature, uh, it's believed that he was the only one who actually signed the Declaration of Independence on the 4th of July. Uh, the declaration was signed by 56 men from, thir from the 13 colonies. I found this interesting. Uh, one out of the eight uh, signees of the declaration uh, were educated at Harvard. Uh, the presidents, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and James Monroe, they all died on the 4th of July. And President uh, John Adams and Thomas Jef Jefferson, to the people who signed the Declaration of Independence, even more crazy, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, both signers of the Declaration, again, they died within hours of the same, same year of the same day on July 4th. So crazy there. Uh, the U.S. imported $227 million worth of fireworks from China in 2012. Uh, the U.S. imported $3.6 million worth of American flags from China as well in 2012. A bit backwards there, people in China making, making our flags over there, so interesting there. And also, finally, approximately 150 million hot dogs and 700 million pounds of chicken are consumed on 4th of July. I'll be making good progress on my preacher belly then, don't worry. <laughs> So before we get too started, I'll just go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the family that we have here as part of your family, as part of the body of Christ. Father, I thank you for uh, the many freedoms that we have as a nation. I thank you that we can come here together, gather together, uh, without the fear of being persecuted because of the freedoms that we have here in, in America. I just pray that we don't take those freedoms for granted, uh, but that we are grateful for them. And uh, we thank you for the gift of your son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Very good. So we celebrate 4th of July, uh, freedom from uh, Great Britain. But this morning we're going to be talking about um, a freedom um, from our former identity. We're talking all about identity uh, this morning and how we identify ourselves. And the big question we're going to ask is, are we identified by what we do? Are we, are we all identified by what we do? And uh, at Southeast Camp, I told a story, an, an embarrassing story, of uh, how when I was uh, studying at the Bible college, I roomed with uh, a number of guys, and long story short, uh, I'd be probably a bit too embarrassed to tell you guys this, but long story short, uh, I argued with one of my roommates for a couple of weeks about how the best way to circulate air um, from the upstairs to downstairs, because the air, the, the upstairs was warm and the downstairs was cool, and uh, it's crazy that I would spend a couple of weeks arguing with my roommate and how the best way to circulate the air. And I told that to show that we all have sin, e even I, even your pastor. I have sin in my life. Everybody 
has sin in their life. Sin comes in many different shapes and sizes, but everybody that you come into contact with has sin in their life. We can know this for a fact, for Romans 3.23 states, for, for all have sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person you come into contact with has sin in their life. Whether, whether it be your pastor up here or your Sunday school teacher or your teachers back at school, your coworkers, employees, employers, your parents, your kids, whoever, everybody that you come into contact with has sin in their life. And I don't think that would be really much of a shocker for any of us this morning. I think we all probably have a pretty clear understanding that, yeah, everybody in this world has sin in their life except for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're all enticed uh, by our own desires. James 1.14 clearly states, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. You are responsible for your own sin. You're enticed, you're tempted by your own desires. You can't, bring, you can't blame your problems or your sins on anybody else. You are, you are 100% responsible for the sins that you, that you make. Nobody else can make you sin. Some people may say, oh, so-and-so makes me mad. No, they don't make you mad. You, you're mad. That's, that's your reaction to what they do. Nobody can make you do something. We, we're all enticed and, and influenced and tempted by our own evil desires. And we all have sin in our life, and we all have those evil desires in, in our life. But the question that we have to ask this morning is, are we identified by that sin? Are we identified by the sin that we commit in our life? Are we, are we identified by what, by what we have done in the past? Now, throughout school, I played on my high school soccer team, and, and I loved soccer. Pretty much all my friends from school uh, were, were a part of the soccer team. That, that's kind of who I was. I was a soccer player in high school. That, that's who I was. And, and people would come, walk, walk down the hall, and, and they would maybe see me, and they probably one of their first minds throughout their head would go, yeah, he, he's a soccer player. That's kind of who he is. I kind of identified myself along with the rest of my friends as a soccer player. Now, in gym class, I also had to take gym in, in high school. In gym class, uh, I, we played many different sports, and one sport that we played uh, was tennis. And so I have played tennis before in my life, but let me just tell you, I, I'm not the best at tennis. And uh, even though I've played tennis before in life, I played a real game of tennis, I wouldn't really consider myself a tennis player. That's not how I identify myself. Even though I have played tennis before in the past, I'm not really a tennis player. I, I identify myself more as a soccer player, although I'm not even sure you could say that anymore as I haven't played a game of soccer in years. Um, but so I have done something even though I no longer identify myself with this. Let's use another example. Raise your hand if you're a runner. Raise your hand if you identify yourself as a runner. All right, very good. Now everybody else, stand up. If you don't identify yourself as a runner, stand up or raise your hand or whatever. If you don't consider yourself a runner, yes. All right, very good. Now remain standing. Remain standing. Only sit down if you have never once in your life run before. Okay, okay, very good. Now everybody look around the room. Look at how many people, look at how many people in this room who have run before in their life, but they aren't identified as a runner. Thank you. You may take a seat. 
I know you runners out there, you, you don't want to be standing too long. Um, I should have had the runners stand up as they're, they're used to that kind of uh, torture. Yeah, <laughs> some, some, some would describe that. So very good, yes. So what we see here is you can do something and not be identified by that. Pretty much most of everybody in here didn't identify themselves as a runner, but pretty much most of us have run before in our life. In the same way, I, I played tennis before, but I don't identify myself as a tennis player. So what we see is that you can do something and not be identified or defined by that. I, I, hope, I hope you can all see that this morning. And so when we're talking about sin... We all have sin in our life. I don't want you guys to forget that. I don't want you guys to overlook that, that important fact that, yes, we all have sin in our life. And, yes, we all need the grace of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But the question is, are we identified by our sin? Are we identified by the mistakes we have made in the past or the mistakes we're making now or the mistakes that we will continue to make in the future? Are we identified by that as God's church, as the people of God? Are we identified by our sin? And to help answer that question, we would look to the scriptures. And so throughout the New Testament, the church, the people of God, they're called the elect. They're called the faithful brothers. They're called the beloved they're called the children of God, they're called the holy nation, and they're called saints. Those are kind of like the six, the six main uh, ways that the church was identified. Now, one really important term or definition is missing from, from that list. The church, the people of God, those who are actively seeking God and his kingdom and his son, Jesus Christ, they are never collectively called sinners, the church of God, the, the people of God in the New Testament, the people who had faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they were actively living out that faith, they were never once collectively called sinners. That's not how they were identified. Now, now sinners does occur in the New Testament, but it's talking about the people outside of the church. It's talking about those outside of these walls, those who don't actively live out their faith. They aren't called sinners. They aren't identified by the sins that they have committed. They aren't identified to as a sinner. They aren't defined by the sins that they have committed. And there's hardly an instance where even just one believer was called a sinner. There, there's one debatable instance in the New Testament. We'll actually flip there this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Way in the back, 1 Timothy chapter 1, we'll see uh, a debatable instance in where someone was referred to or identified as a sinner. And this is really the only debatable instance in the New Testament where someone is defined or identified as a sinner. And we'll take a look at it this morning. So in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, here Paul is writing a letter uh, to, to his dear friends. He, he viewed him as his own son to Timothy. He's writing, he's writing this letter. And in verse 13 of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, Paul writes, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. 
So here Paul, he's writing this letter, and he's telling Timothy that I am the foremost sinner. He basically made, some of your translations may say he he is the chief sinner. In other words, he's like the first place sinner. There's nobody who who has sinned greater than I, Paul. I am the foremost or the chief or the first place sinner. But we see in verse 13, Paul says, though formerly... I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. What many of you guys may not realize is that Paul, he, he wrote 13 books of our Bible, 13 books of the New Testament, and he was a great man of faith, and, and he went to many different cities and, and nations to, to preach this message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. However, before that, Paul persecuted Christians to their death. Paul, one of the best heroes of our faith, one of the greatest heroes of our faith, he persecuted Christians to their death as he was a devout Jew. And and again, the Jews and the Christians did not get along with themselves, with, with each other. But Paul, he persecuted these Christians to death. What an awful, awful, awful thing someone could have done to kill the children of God. And that's exactly what Paul did. He, he persecuted these Christians and led them to their own deaths. And, and Paul's telling Timothy, he's retelling this time when he was formerly a blasphemer. He, he blasphemed them he, he, he talked poorly a, 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 about the Christians against them, and he persecuted them, and he was opponent of the Christians. And so Paul considered himself the foremost or the chief sinner of the stuff that he had done in the past. We, we can clearly see that he is talking about his past, not, not his current life. There, there's nobody who would believe that Paul was the worst sinner at that time when he's writing this because Paul was doing many great works. He, he was truly advancing God's kingdom here on, the, on this earth as he was preaching and, and writing many different letters, encouraging people. He was a great man of God after he converted to Christianity. So he's not talking about his current state, that he is the worst sinner, but we can see, especially verse 13, the context shows that he's talking about his past, that, that, he, that he was the foremost or first place sinner. Now, some people may say, yeah, but, but he uses the present tense. He says, I am the foremost sinner, or I am the first place sinner. And yes, that is true, but we can use the example of a runner. Uh, so just imagine uh, there, there's somebody uh, who is a runner, and he, 40 years ago, he broke the school record uh, for the fastest mile time. 40 years ago, he was super fast and broke that mile time. And so in present time, 40 years later, he returned to his alma mater, his former high school, and he was surprised to see that nobody beat his fastest mile time. And so he can rightly say, I am the record holder in the mile race at my high school, or I am the first place of the mile time or the mile race at my high school. He can, that is 100% accurate for someone to say that I am the record holder in the mile race at my high school, even though at that time, he, he would probably be blown out of the water by, by some of the other high school runners running the mile at that time as he's 40 years in advance and probably trying to uh, gasp for air if you were to try to run a mile at a super fast pace. But he can still say with the present tense that I am the record holder in the mile race at my high school. And so when Paul says that I am the foremost center, the chief center, the first place center, he can rightly say that as he's kind of set a record. He, he was first place back in that day as the worst sinner, as he persecuted Christians to their death. 
And again, this is just one instance, the, the most debatable instance uh, where, where, someone, where uh, someone who is actively living out their faith is referred to or defined as a sinner. And so at the very least, at the very least, you can say that the people of God, God's church, were hardly ever identified as sinners in the New Testament. And one could easily make the claim that not once is someone who is actively living out their faith identified as a sinner. But, but at the very least, we see that the people of God, that the church of God, they were hardly ever identified as a sinner. But again, I think you could easily make the claim that nobody in, in God's church in the New Testament was currently had that present uh, identity as a sinner. And now I'm sure many of, you, many of you guys are skeptical a bit, and that's okay. Um, you shouldn't just take my word, uh, but you should seek it yourself. So I encourage you when you go home or sometime this week that you look in a concordance. A concordance is just a list of all the words that are found in the Bible, and turn to sinner or sinners and see how many times it occurs in the New Testament, and flip, flip open to it each time they occur, and I think you'll be amazed to see that God's church really isn't identified as sinners. Again, again, I don't want you guys to, to misunderstand me and deem me a heretic. Yes, we all have sin in our life. And yes, none of us are perfect. And yes, we all need the grace of God in our life. We all need the sacrifice that Jesus Christ uh, partook in 2,000 years ago. Every single one of us needs that. But what we're talking about this morning is are we identified by that sin that we have committed in the past and, and maybe some, for some of us right now and for all of us later in the future? Are we identified by that sin? And looking in the scriptures and looking in God's word, the, the people of God, the church of God in the New Testament, I don't think they were identified by the sins that they committed and I don't think we are identified by the sins that we have committed because the, chur the church of God, the Christians, the New Testament, they weren't called sinners, but they were called the elect. They were called children of God. They were called faithful brothers. They were called beloved. They were called the holy nation. And they were called saints. That's what we are. That is our identity. We are free from our former identity, from the former bondage and sin. We are free from that. As, as we celebrate 4th of July uh, uh, later this week, as we celebrate the freedom that we have as, as a nation, we can celebrate a much greater freedom. We can celebrate the freedom from our former identity as, as a sinner, as, as our old self has died and our new self has been born again. We are free from that identity as a sinner if we are actively seeking God and his kingdom. We just don't see the church, the people of God, identified as a sinner in the New Testament. And again, for those of you who are skeptical, I encourage you later this afternoon or later this week to check it out for yourselves, and I think you will be uh, surprised. Now, when talking about our identity and what we do and the sin that we have in our life, the writer of 1 John has some very strong words uh, to say about this. So if you have uh, your Bibles, you can also open up to 1 John chapter 3, just a couple of books later, before 2 John. <laughs> you guys are going to get tired of that joke eventually. <laughs> so 1 John chapter 3, we're, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. 
And here the writer of 1 John is talking about our identity and sin. And he starts off in chapter 3 by saying, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So, so here John is saying that we are to be called, we should be called children of God. That is what you should be called. That, that is the identity that you should have in life, is a child of God. That's who you are. That's what you should be called. And he reemphasizes that in verse 2. He says, beloved, we are God's children. You are a child of God. And if you actively seek out this faith, the faith in God and the Son, Jesus Christ, then that's who you are. That's how you are identified. That's what you're called. You are called a child of God. And he continues in in verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So in verse 5, what I want to point out is John says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. He's talking about Jesus Christ there. He says that Jesus appeared, Jesus uh, was preaching and teaching to take away the sins of the world. Many people, when they think of the sacrifice of Jesus, they, they think that it starts with forgiveness and ends with forgiveness, that, we're just, that our sins are just washed away. And that's, that exactly is a huge part of it. But it doesn't end there. Christ's sacrifice came. He appeared to take away the sins of the world. We are justified. We are made right with, with the sacrifice of God through Jesus Christ on the cross. But we're also sanctified. We're also set apart. We're also made new. We, we are called children of God. Don't belittle the sacrifice of Jesus by, by you thinking just that it's about forgiveness. It's about taking away the sins of the world as well. It's about making you a child of God. So you can identify yourself as a saint or, or elect or a faithful brother or the people of God or a holy nation or a saint. You are truly set apart. You are sanctified from the rest of the world when you put your faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he says in verse 6, no one who abides in him, in other words, no one who remains in Christ or no one who, who is seeking Jesus Christ No one in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Those are some bold words. Those are some strong words for John to say, no one who keeps on sinning, no one who makes a practice of sinning over and over and over again, no one remains in in Christ. No one abides in him who keeps on sinning. And yes, you're going to make mistakes. And, and thank goodness we have the forgiveness of Christ. And, and we're not going to be sinless, but we need to try to sin less. You're not going to be sinless, but you need to try to sin less. You can't be, keep on sinning and sinning and sinning. And he continues in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. 
Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And again, to kind of emphasize the point again, and John says that no one born of God keeps on sinning. No one. No one born of God. Children of God do not keep on sinning. And, and he says in verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God. It, it's evident to those who are the children of God if they keep on sinning or not. If you live a life of sin, then John here is saying that you are not a child of God. Rather, a child of the devil, which quite strong words. We can see the, the gravity of, of the sin that we commit. We can see how big of a deal it is to God, the sin that we commit. It's important that we don't keep on sinning. For no one who keeps on sinning remains in Christ. No one who keeps on sinning is a child of God. And that comes with the problem when we identify ourselves as a sinner. Proverbs, Proverbs 23, 7 states in the American Standard Version, For as he thinketh within himself, so is he. In other words, what you think about yourself, that is what you become. If you identify yourself as a poor little sinner, you're just going to act like a sinner. And what do sinners do? They sin. They keep on sinning. And when you identify yourself as a sinner, when you sin, it's not, it's not a huge deal because that's just what sinners do. It's just a result of who we are as sinners. Yeah, sure, we, we wish we didn't sin, but that's just what sinners do. That, that, that's the problem. That's the poison of, of identifying yourself as a sinner when you indeed are a child of God, when you have given your life over to God and his son, Jesus Christ. This identity is so toxic. God didn't just send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could indulge in our evil desires that we have and just measly ask for forgiveness after. That's cheap grace. That's belittling the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's belittling the sacrifice of God as God watched his son, Jesus Christ, die and suffer on the cross for six hours. That's so dangerous, so dangerous to identify ourselves as, as a poor little sinner, as who just a poor little sinner in need of God's grace, and that's just what sinners do. We sin, it's normal. No, you're, you're a child of God. No one who keeps on sinning is born of God. No one who keeps on sinning remains in Christ. Rather, if you identify yourself as a child of God or as a saint or as the elect or a part of the faithful brothers, I think your actions will follow. For as the wise man Solomon said, for as he thinketh within himself, so is he. What you think about yourself, you become. And so when you identify yourself as a child of God, if we view ourselves as saints, then we'll begin to see our sin in a whole new light. 
if we really are holy ones, if we really are children of God, if we really are saints, how we identify ourselves, then whatever sins we commit are a deeper, more profound, and more serious departure from God's calling than we ever realize. Because that's not who we are. We are children of God, and children of God are not supposed to sin. Children of God practice righteousness. They don't keep on saying, they don't practice sinning. That the, that's what people who belong to the devil, that, that's what they do. That's what the writer of John says. But children of God remain righteous. They practice righteousness. And again, this can be a scary message. And again, we're, we're going to make mistakes. But, but it's the difference of, of making a practice of sinning and sinning over and over again rather than we're all going to mess up from time to time. And, and, and that's all right. It's not what God likes. God, God is filled with sorrow. And in the, in the time of Noah, when the people were full of sin, it says that God was sorrowful and he regretted making mankind. The sin that we commit is so serious. It becomes a whole lot more serious when we identify ourselves as a child of God, as a saint, as a faithful brothers, as the people of God, as the church of God. And let me tell you, if you have given your life over to God, if you've given your life over to Jesus Christ, and you're actively living out that faith, then you're free from that former identity, and you are a child of God. That is your main identity in life. If, if, if you are seeking God in all his ways. <laughs> Where's John again in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says, see what kind of love the Father's given to us? That we should be called children of God. He doesn't say that we should be called sinners. No, we should be called children of God. And so we are. You are a child of God. And that gives you so much value. That gives you so much authority. That gives you so much power. With much power comes much responsibility. You have to be responsible with the identity that you have in your life. You can't make a practice of keep on sinning and just view yourself as some poor little sinner because these aren't, the, these aren't my words, but the words of God through the writer of John where he says, no one who keeps on sinning is born of God. You are a child of God. You are created in the image of God. God loves you and God values you so much that he sent his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross for our sins, not to just forgive the sins that we have committed and, and will co commit, but he suffered and died on the cross to take away our sins. How awesome is that? And so I encourage you to start seeing yourself in light of this. Start seeing yourself, identifying yourself as a child of God, as a saint, as someone who was set apart from the rest of the world. For that's what the church, the people of God, are, are, are called over and over again in the New Testament. And we have that same identity. We should be called children of God, and so we are. And if you do, I think you'll see positive results. I think you'll see sin in a whole new light and see just how serious sin is. God hates sin. God, God is sorrowful when, when, when we commit sin and separate ourselves from him. We need to be identifying ourselves as a child of God. For we're free 
from our former identity. So as we go on this week celebrating 4th of July and celebrating the freedoms that we have as a nation, we have all the more reason to celebrate as we are free from our former identity as sinners and we are now called, we are identified as children of God. And so we are. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you uh, for this day. Father, I thank you for the sacrifice of your perfect son, Jesus Christ, where, where he died on the cross for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven and so that our sins could be taken away. Father, I just pray that, that this morning that we can see that we are identified, that we should be called children of you, children of the almighty creator of the heavens and earth, children of you, Yahweh. Father, I just pray that, the, that our identity that we have in you can, can have a positive effect and a positive result on the actions that we commit and so that we cannot keep on sinning, but that we practice righteousness. And Father, we love you. We thank you for the many freedoms that we have. And we thank you for the freedom from our former identity. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.